Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Collier's International First Quarter Investors Conference Call. Today's call is being recorded. Legal counsel requires us to advise that the discussion scheduled to take place today may contain forward-looking statements that involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties. Actual results may materially differ from any future results. Performance are achievements contemplated in forward-looking statements. Additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results to materially different from those in the forward-looking statements is contained in the company's annual information form as filed with the Canadian Securities Administrators and the company's annual report on Form 40F as filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. Today is Tuesday, April 28, 2020. And at this time, for opening remarks and introductions, I would like to turn the call over to the Global Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Jay Hennick. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, and thanks for joining us. I'm Jay Hennick, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of the company. With me today is John Fredrickson, Chief Operating Officer, and Christian Mayer, Chief Financial Officer. This conference call is being webcast and is available in the Investor Relations section of our website. A presentation slide deck is also available there to accompany today's call. Colliers began 220 with solid first quarter results despite the initial impact of COVID-19 in Asia early in the quarter with the rest of our operations being affected in March. Given the uncertainty, we expect the balance of the year to be challenging, particularly for our brokerage operations. In a few minutes, Christian will talk about our financial results, provide you with our working assumptions for the balance of the year, and discuss our liquidity and conservative balance sheet. John will then offer some operational thoughts, after which we will open the call for questions. For the quarter, Revenues were $631 million, up 1% in local currency. Adjusted EBITDA was $55 million, up 28%, and adjusted earnings per share came in at $0.54, up 6% versus the prior year. Throughout the quarter, our leadership teams at all levels mobilized swiftly and responsibly to protect our people and align our costs while ensuring business continuity for our clients. I'm extremely proud of them and inspired by the work they are doing as we navigate through this unfortunate crisis. Let me take this opportunity to recognize and thank them all for the work they have done and continue to do for our stakeholders. Thank you all. It goes without saying that businesses everywhere have been hit by the crisis. For Colliers, about 45% of our revenues and now more than 50% of our EBITDA comes from outsourcing 
advisory and investment management, services that are typically more essential, recurring, and contractual, giving us a much more stable business than ever. We have worked diligently over the years to change the nature and composition of our company by increasing revenues that come from more resilient real estate services so that Colliers would have a much more balanced business model, and I'm sure glad we did. The rest of our revenues and EBITDA come from our highly variable brokerage operations, which we expect will decline sharply, as I mentioned. Across the board, we're making tough but necessary decisions to adapt. We have already taken steps to adjust our costs, including eliminating non-essential spending, cutting CapEx, and reducing non-revenue-producing support, administrative, and legal staff. Furthermore, I have opted to not take compensation, and other members of our leadership have made similar decisions, notwithstanding the additional volume of work required during these difficult times. And our directors, without being asked, also waive director's fees to show their support. These are just some of the examples of our unique Collier's culture in action. Fortunately, Collier's also benefits from having globally diverse revenue streams, with about 55% of our revenues coming from the Americas and the balance split almost equally between Europe and Asia Pacific. As markets return to normal, those that recover first will generate increasing revenues sooner, as we are seeing to some extent in China right now, and will also be able to share best methods to return to work, among many other things. Without question, we will continue to be tested in the coming months in ways we can't anticipate. However, I'm confident that we're up for the challenge and will weather this storm better than most. Everyone knows that Collier's professionals are more enterprising and collaborative in this business. We continue to see countless examples of our enterprising spirit in action every single day, and we deliver important insights to our clients and keep our company moving forward as always. Perhaps most importantly, our entrepreneurial culture and way of doing business is reinforced by the fact that our leadership owns about 40% of the equity in our company, substantially more than any of our competitors. Not only is our leadership perfectly aligned with shareholders, we also have serious skin in the game, which is the ultimate motivation when it comes to making the right decisions expeditiously. I believe in our diversified business model. I believe in our experienced leadership, decentralized operating structure, and enterprising culture. And I'm confident that when this crisis passes, our economy and Collier's will come out better and more unified than ever. Now let me turn things over to Christian. Christian. Thank you, Jay. As announced earlier today, Collier's reported solid financial results for the seasonally slow first quarter despite the initial impact of a global COVID-19 pandemic. My comments follow the flow of the slide posted on the Investor Relations section of Colliers.com to accompany this call. Please note that my comments reference non-GAAP measures such as adjusted EBITDA and adjusted EPS, 
both of which are defined in our press release issued today, as well as the accompanying slide presentation. The adjustments are, com are composed primarily of non-cash charges that we view as largely unrelated to our operating results. All references to revenue growth are calculated based on local currency. First quarter revenues were 631 million, up 1% over the prior year. Internal revenues declined 1%, primarily due to the initial impact of the pandemic on brokerage operations in the Asia Pacific region throughout the quarter and in other regions toward the end of the quarter. First quarter consolidated adjusted EBITDA was 54 million compared to 44 million, with our margin at 8.6% versus 6.9% in the prior year quarter. The margin improvement was led by investment management in the Americas region, as I will discuss in a moment. Q1 revenues in the Americas totaled 370 million, up 4%. Americas outsourcing and advisory revenues were up 12%, with strong growth in each of project management, property management, and valuations. Sales and lease brokerage revenues were down 3%, impacted by a noticeable slowdown in the month of March attributable to the pandemic. Adjusted EBITDA was 31 million, up 19% versus last year, with an 8.4% margin, up 110 basis points, primarily due to lower costs and operating leverage in outsourcing and advisory. EMEA region Q1 revenues were 117 million, flat relative to the prior comparative period, and were also roughly flat in each service line. Brokerage revenues were adversely impacted by the pandemic late in the quarter. Adjusted EBITDA for the region was a loss of 4 million compared to a loss of 3 million last year. Asia Pacific region revenues were 97 million, down 9%, impacted by sharply reduced brokerage activity in China and other countries in Asia, attributable to the pandemic beginning early in the quarter, partially offset by incremental revenues from the recent acquisition of Synergy Project Management in India, which contributed significantly to the increase in outsourcing and advisory revenues, which were up 16%. Adjusted EBITDA was 5 million compared to 11 million last year on lower revenues and service mix. Investment management revenues for Q1 were 46 million, up 7%. Revenue growth was positively impacted by management fee growth across open and closed-end products, as well as the timing of certain European transaction fees, offset by a reduction in pass-through carried interest. Assets under management were $35.1 billion as of March 31, 2020, up 31% from a year ago. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was $18 million versus $10 million in the comparative period, with a decrease attributable to base management fee growth as well as the timing of transaction fees. Our consolidated income tax expense for the first quarter included a charge to reverse a $2 million benefit recorded in 2019 due to a change in tax law applied retroactively. Absent this charge, our adjusted EPS would have been $0.59, cents, up 16% versus the prior year period. Colliers maintains a conservative financial profile with a net debt to adjusted EBITDA leverage ratio of 1.8 times as of March 31, 2020. Our leverage includes 91 million of debt drawn under a revolving credit facility attributable to an investment in real estate assets 
to seed a new investment management fund in Europe. We expect to transfer these assets off our balance sheet without gain or loss during the second quarter of 2020, favorably impacting our leverage ratio. As of March 31, 2020, we had $478 million available under our $1 billion revolving credit facility maturing in April 2024, and together with cash on hand, we have $580 million of liquidity to fund operations, working capital, capital expenditures, and acquisitions. We recently renewed our $125 million structured accounts receivable facility for another one-year term extending to April 2021. We also have outstanding 210 million euros of 2.23% senior notes maturing in May 2028. The COVID pandemic is having an unprecedented impact on global health and economic output. In light of this uncertainty, we have developed a working assumption for our company that is based on the best available information at this time, but is subject to changes based on numerous ongoing macroeconomic, health, social, political, and related factors. Our working assumption for the full year 2020 is a 15 to 25% decline in consolidated revenues and a 25% to 35% decline in consolidated adjusted EBITDA relative to 2019, excluding the impact of acquisitions not yet completed. Brokerage revenues, which have a highly variable cost structure, are expected to decline sharply in the second quarter and then gradually improve sequentially in the third and fourth quarters. Outsourcing and advisory and investment management revenues are expected to remain relatively stable through the remainder of the year with some local variability depending on market conditions. The working assumption includes steps to adjust our cost structure, which John will discuss in a moment. Based on our working assumption, we expect to remain onside all financial covenants in our debt agreements. With a weighted average debt maturity of 4.7 years and significant available liquidity, we believe we are well positioned to weather the economic and financial effects of the pandemic. That concludes my prepared remarks, and I would now like to turn the call over to John. Thank you, Christian. As the COVID-19 pandemic began to impact our operations around the world, first in Asia Pacific, then Europe, and finally the Americas, our executive teams moved from a growth mindset to a focus on sustainability, taking decisive action to protect our employees, observe government-mandated closures, implement business continuity measures to support our operations and service our clients, and reduce our costs to offset the impact of declining revenues due to the pandemic. Through the Collier's enterprising approach, this was done swiftly and thoughtfully as conditions warranted. And we will continue to monitor the situation closely, taking further action as necessary. In Q1, we made the difficult decision to reduce the number of employees, our most significant expense. Though some of this began midway through the quarter in Asia, most of the reductions took place just after quarter end. To date, approximately 10% of our workforce has been furloughed for a period of two to three months with health benefits maintained, while another 5% were separated from service. 
These cost adjustments reflect predominantly non-revenue producing staff in support, administrative, and certain leadership roles. Not included in these workforce reduction percentages is a much broader based reduction in salaries and bonuses across our global workforce from the global executive team to our regional and local leaders. In addition to reducing our people costs, we have also reduced all non-essential spending for the balance of the year. In the aggregate, we expect these measures to result in annual savings of approximately $150 million in 2020. If required, we may take further cost reduction measures in the future. Consistent with most other professional services firms, Colliers continues to service its clients across its global platform, though mainly and where possible, this is being done remotely. While our offices have reopened in many parts of Asia, or plan to open imminently, offices in all other regions are either closed or remain open but operating with minimal staff. Prior investments in IT systems and applications have served us and our clients well, as we are leveraging this investment more than ever before and expect that much of this elevated use of technology will continue in the future. Whether it's communicating internally or connecting with clients, our use of technology has never been more important. Colliers has delivered valuable insights through surveys, thought leadership, and interactive webinars at local, regional, and global levels developed and delivered through the untiring efforts of our professionals and subject matter experts. Webinars that addressed a worldview of dynamics impacting both occupiers and landlords earlier in the month. The more recent presentations focused on surveying remote working and transitioning back to the workplace attracted thousands of registered participants representing a tenfold increase in the typical size of audiences for these types of presentations pre-crisis. For those interested, this COVID-19 related content is located on our website at colliers.com and available by major market using the drop-down menu located in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage or the hyperlinks on the operational priorities page of the slide deck accompanying this call. So these, though there are countless silver linings to this crisis that callers will benefit from in the years to come, this does not in any way negate the significant human and economic cost of the pandemic and the uncertainty it has created. However, with a near-term focus on business continuity, combined with a longer-term focus on strategically investing for the future, we believe that we will emerge from this period stronger than ever before. That concludes our prepared remarks, and I would now like to turn the call back to our operator to facilitate questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question at this time, you would need to press star then one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Our first question comes from the line of George Dumet with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, maybe looking at the more stable outsourcing advisory part of the business, um, just wondering if you've seen any pockets there that's been more uh, vulnerable uh, to COVID-19. Uh, I mean, I, just to clarify, I, do you guys expect that part of the business to be flat, or would you, would you expect that, you know, that part of the business to be down? Um, 
you know, it, it varies by service. Investment management has been uh, very resilient. In fact, as you can see from the results up for the quarter, property management is absolutely booming, um, although they are having trouble uh, staffing some of the buildings because some of their support staff, um, particular, in particular, uh, on-site building personnel, which we administer, we're having trouble getting people obviously to attend, uh, so that's been taxing on them. Uh, it modestly impacts revenue streams, but one of the one of the silver linings, as John talks about, is our phones have been ringing off the hook from others that maybe potentially uh, were doing their own property management and now want to outsource that to uh, credible service providers like Collier's, and we're responding. Um, uh, to those uh, to those uh, requests for proposals, um, and so we're seeing business pick up. But I I think I think for the quarter and even even through the first month of this quarter, we're seeing substantial increases in our in our property management business so far. Um, uh, other areas, project management, uh, as an example. Uh, have also been very resilient. We're seeing some pickups in business depending upon different geographic regions. There is some variability uh, because in some countries, governments have closed down um, construction sites, including infrastructure, which is uh, the lion's share of what, we're, what we do in project management. So we're seeing, we're seeing a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of that happening, but generally uh, pretty much as as resilient as we were hoping it would be going into a crisis like this. I hope that answers your question. Well, that's helpful. Thanks for that, Jay. Maybe a tougher question. How would you see the eventual recovery um, in, in brokerage activity uh, by region? I mean, obviously Asia, it seems like it's recovering, but the other parts of the world, like how do you kind of see that uh, in terms of the recovery? Well, we're not seeing it in Asia just yet, and, and that's, you know, something we're watching daily. We're seeing activity happen, uh, and we're seeing activity virtually in every other market. Our, 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 our real estate professionals are being asked by clients to help them with lease extensions, lease deferrals, all kinds of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, potential adjustments to existing lease relationships. Those uh, generally are, are provided um, as an advisor. Uh, sometimes we get paid. It's modest when we get paid. In, in China, we're seeing a lot of that happening right now. Uh, there's very little new uh, leasing taking place uh, because obviously in many buildings it's difficult to get access. So I think that... Um, you know, if, if one were to ask me, are our people busy? I would say in many ways they're busier now than they've ever been. Uh, but the question is, is that translating into revenue streams near term? And we haven't yet seen it and suspect that, um, that as Christian said, the Q, Q2 will be, will be difficult and hopefully will consistently get better over, over the balance of the year. So, um, That'll give you a sense. Buildings themselves, buying, selling buildings, 
There's a lot of bottom feeders out there looking for building for looking for buying opportunities. There isn't necessarily debt in the marketplace, although most lenders say they're open for business. Uh, our our uh, our uh, insight is that they're open for business only for the right business at the right terms, including you know higher higher interest rates on existing indebtedness. So um, it might be there for their most prominent clients, but it's not as readily available. All of these things, and, and you know the interesting thing about commercial real estate is we are active in these times, in times of change. It is generally very good for real estate service providers. Um, whether that translates into revenue streams and when it translates into revenue streams is another question. Yeah, that's helpful. Just one, one more, if I may, um, off of Christian's remarks around being on site for the covenants. Um, I'm just wondering if you guys may be looking to extend those just uh, maybe – uh, to give us a little bit of wiggle room for, for M&A and just wondering how opportunistic we'll be on that front. Uh, George, you know, we're always looking to be opportunistic uh, as it relates to acquisition opportunities. Uh, you know, those may, those may come later uh, in this year or next year, and we will uh, consider those at, at, at that time. Okay, thanks. Remember, remember also... Remember also that we are in the process of two very significant transactions, two companies that we, uh, we think are first class, uh, and uh, we'd like to complete them when, the, when conditions are met. Um, and both of those are uh, further our, uh, our, um, our, our game plan of extending more resi resilient services for colliers while opening up huge new growth opportunities for us going forward. So we are already uh, out there in terms of our next phase of growth and, um, and believe that uh, once those transactions are completed, we will again accelerate our, our growth plan as we have in the past. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Matt Logan with RBC Capital Market. Your line is open. Thank you, and good morning. Amen. John, could you give us a little bit of color from an operational perspective, maybe just on how your professionals are adapting to a work-from-home environment and how this differs by, you know, your various service lines? Sure. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, we, we, I reference silver linings, um, and you know there are many actually in this uh, difficult time. And one has been how incredibly enterprising our professionals have been, and their ability to quickly uh, transition to working remotely, uh, using technology to communicate and to collaborate both internally and with our clients. Um, Certainly, there are certain things that are, are more challenging uh, to do um, during this time, like uh, walking space uh, on uh, you know a new uh, office layout that you might be considering, things like that. But those, those kind of things have been postponed. But I think the, um, the, the greater opportunity of looking how to work through this period and transition to what will be, uh, you know, a gradual opening has been top of mind 
for our professionals. Uh, they've adapted extremely well to this and are now dispensing advice, uh, some of which uh, I have indicated already has been publicly made available and has been attended by uh, literally thousands of people. So, you know, I would say across the board, um, certainly the professionals who are typically in our workplace offices have done extremely well. Many of those are quite used to working remotely as it is. Certainly our number of our fee earners and advisors are routinely um, out of the office, so perhaps a little bit less of a change for some of them. And then as Jay spoke earlier, um, we do have certain people that are on site and have to be on site at, uh, at client buildings uh, to the extent that those remain operating and, and um, hosting people. So we've adapted there as well. I'd say all in all, it's been a very you know, pleasant surprise to see how well uh, our uh, professionals across our business and support staff have also adapted to um, the new way of working, which um, is temporary, but some of which may, may be with us down the road. Uh, great color, and maybe just changing gears a little bit. Uh, given your expectations for stable results in outsourcing and advisory and investment management, can you give us any thoughts on your outlook for potential revenue declines on sales and lease brokerage? You know, just maybe what you're seeing to date, or if you think those two business lines may be different in any way in terms of the the magnitude of the declines. Uh, Matt, uh, you know, we uh, looked at uh, our um, pipelines and, and our developed our expectations for the rest of the year. Um, you know, uh, from a bottoms-up approach, really, through with each of our regions, uh, with each of our um, management teams uh, around the world. Um, you know, the the revenue declines in uh, in brokerage, uh, you know, as I said, are going to be very significant. Very significant in, uh, in, in, Q, in, Q, in Q2, um, but really in terms of the overall outlook, we're, we're focused on the year, um, and it's difficult to predict what Q3 and Q4 are going to look like, uh, you know, exactly, uh, and it's difficult for us to predict what the full year will look like. But we've made our best uh, assumptions and our best uh, our, our best uh, guess uh, with the information we have uh, today uh, to provide the working assumptions um, that we've developed. But, but certainly, you know, brokerage will be uh, will, will be down. Uh, sales and lease brokerage, both, um, to be to be clear, will be down. Um, and uh, uh, you know, we'll develop it more uh, as, the, as the year progresses. Appreciate that. And maybe just in terms of the differences between the two, would you expect them to track uh, very similarly directionally, or would we expect to see lease brokerage perform better than sales brokerage in 2020? I think that's a common assumption, but um, it, it, the, it's difficult to answer the question because leasing is a bigger component of our business in some regions and less of a component in other regions of our business. Um, and so it's very difficult to give you a, a breakdown of how they might be um, on, a, on a global basis or even on a regional basis. So. Um, I, I think the best guess we've given you is uh, is a combined um, brokerage uh, activity set uh, for the for the company across the board. Well, I appreciate the commentary. That's all from me. I'll, I'll turn this turn the call back. 
Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Stephen Sheldon with William Blair. Your line is open. Good morning. Thanks. First, uh, you know, good to hear about the inbound activity in the property management business. Um, so I was curious what would need to happen for you to be able to close some of those deals. Would that likely only happen in a, in a material way once restrictions on uh, in-person interactions are lifted, or is that something that could happen um, to a certain degree before travel opens up? Would, would clients be comfortable closing deals like this remotely, or do you need to see them in person for that to happen? We're, we're seeing clients are closing deals on that primarily, primarily for two reasons. One, they're dissatisfied with existing service providers that have vacated in some cases, or, or so many of their on-site staff have just not been there to, to protect the buildings that they have, number one. And number two, there really is a big push, and rightly in our view, uh, for those that are both an asset and property manage, manager to outsource the property management component of their business. So the, the turnover is easier in, in a circumstance like that. They're turning over all of their on-site work and in some cases the entire staff that, that comes with that to Colliers. And, 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 and frankly, it's been a little bit of a pressure on our property management operations who are now looking back at some of their existing smaller accounts and for the first time in years looking to potentially cull some of the smaller retainers that we have to make, make, uh, make availability for some of these larger uh, opportunities that are, that are coming uh, to fore. Got it. Um, okay. And then I think you gave some detail about, you know, property and project management. If you said anything about valuations and advisory, I missed it. So I guess what trends are you seeing there in the current environment over the last few months? So valuations uh, has, been go has gone through the roof. It had an amazing first quarter. Uh, it continues, although not, as, uh, not with the same velocity, into this quarter, I suspect it will fall off uh, a little bit um, going forward, not to the same degree as, as brokerage as an example. And part of that is because uh, uh, debt financing is not as readily available. Uh, but offsetting that, a lot of lenders on properties that we would have valued a year ago are asking us to go in and reevaluate um, the, uh, the valuation we did a year ago in light of changing tenant uh, profiles and their ability or, uh, to, uh, to pay rents. So I think, the, um, I think revenue and valuation will be less than it was in the first quarter, but should continue uh, by and large for the balance of the year. Okay. And then last one for me. You know, what, what do you think the current environment does for adoption of technology solutions for, for CRE professionals, uh, for operators and, and users over the medium term? Has there been anything surprising about the way these different parties have used, you know, tech solutions over the last few months? Stephen, it's John. Um, 
Yeah, it has been a little bit surprising. I mean, there was already a trend towards, you know, more uh, use of technology, but this has really forced many people to adopt um, very quickly. And, um, you know, there's nothing like um, a situation like this where um, the dynamics uh, cause people to have to operate differently, and technology has been you know, one of the main ways to stay connected with both clients and uh, colleagues. And uh, we are using it significantly through our business. And at the same time, you know, we are continuing to carefully and modestly uh, invest and evaluate those technologies which we believe are going to, you know, continue to facilitate our productivity working remotely and thinking about the future, how we can use this more effectively to communicate and to collaborate with our, our, uh, our people. Um, so it has uh, been very, very interesting to watch, and um, it's going to, I think, the trend will continue. It's just been accelerated during the last uh, couple of months. Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Stephen McLeod with BMO Capital. Your line is open. Uh, great. Thank you. Good morning, guys. Hi, Steve. Hi. Um, I just was wondering, uh, just following up on previous line of questioning around the brokerage business, can you talk a little bit about kind of what you saw in terms of brokerage trends, uh, you know, through the quarter and, and more more specifically kind of what you saw in terms of, brokerage trends in March and, and potentially quarter to date as well? Uh, brokerage trends. Um, as you can see, we had a very strong first quarter. Um, so brokerage uh, did exceedingly well during the quarter. I would suggest that a lot of those transactions were uh, transactions that started to culminate in November, December, January. Uh, and then resulted in uh, transactions being completed either during the quarter or, in fact, uh, during this current quarter, we're seeing uh, transactions still get completed, and that's, uh, that's both in North America and Europe and Asia as well. So I think that, um, that we're seeing that. We're seeing pipelines not as, as, as buoyant, in terms of new new buildings for sale, um, uh, and primarily because the the new reality yet has not set in with landowners and even buyers. What is the value of the building going to be worth in the future? I have a shopping mall. The shopping mall is a good shopping mall, except that 40% or less of the tenants paid. Um, I've got high leverage on the shopping mall. Is now the time to sell? What am I going to do about it? So there's a lot of that, and it's happening in office. It's happening even in, in, the, in the better asset classes of industrial and some of the other areas. People are, are re-looking at real estate. Uh, the pundits are re-looking at the asset classes to determine whether there's actually a change in in uh, those asset classes that are more um, uh, more uh, desirous than others. So I think there's a period of time here where 
um, people are going, unless they are financially strapped, um, uh, unable to pay their debts, I think for the most part there's going to be a period of time when people will wait to see uh, what the new um, value levels are of their different uh, real estate assets. Okay, that's uh, that's very good color. Thank you, Jay. Um, and maybe just along those lines, you know, you talked a little bit about um, the, you know this new reality has not yet set in. Um, do, do you view or you know do you view any long-term changes in how people view real estate? You know, if you think about uh, just the propensity for people to potentially work from home, you know, does that does that in your view lead to higher occupancy rates or vacancy rates in uh, in the office sector, for example? Is there any are there any long-term trends that have begun to emerge, or is it still too soon? Well, uh, John may have may have his own own views on this, but. You know, everything you're reading, um, you've got three people that say we're going to have smaller office footprints in the future. Another three people will say they're not going to change for this reason. Um, so I think that it's, again, still too early to make any uh, pronouncements there. I think there's a lot of people dissecting different asset classes to determine different pricing levels. But in general terms, real estate will continue to be a proven and desirous asset. Uh, real estate uh, uh, borrowing rates are at, at historical lows, will continue to be at historical lows. When you compare privately owned real estate to the volatility of the marketplace, um, it is still a very, a very good asset to own. And, and I believe that... Um, I believe that uh, uh, institutions will continue to act to allocate their capital to real estate in increasing numbers as they have over the past couple of years. Well, the only thing, yeah, I, I'll just I'll just add briefly to that. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, as Jay said, I think it's probably too early to make any conclusions about what's likely going to happen here. But based on what we've seen now and the talk and the discussion, of course, this can all change. But based on that, there seems to be perhaps uh, some interest in more flexibility around the workplace. Um, conceivably, there could be some um, migration to working from home in a limited way. Um, one would think that that might reduce the amount of, in the case of office, the amount of space required. But in the current configurations of many offices, they don't lend themselves to social distancing very well. So it may end up being sort of a net zero where um, if it wasn't for allowing certain people to work from home from time to time, companies would have to expand their, their footprint or reconfigure it significantly. And if they can simply work with the existing footprint and then also allow a small part of their workforce to work remotely, they can sort of stay uh, at the same level in terms of um, work, uh, workplace and office occupancy. I don't think it, it's, it's had much of an impact on the industrial market. In fact, there are secular trends around industrial and logistics, which in some way may continue and have ex actually accelerated around e-commerce and other things that we've seen a lot of, of course, during the crisis, and a lot of that will probably continue. Those are the two biggest areas for Collier's. 
there was a whole other subset around retail, which had you know its own challenges and which have been more exposed now. It's a small part of our business, but uh, I think there are challenges there around retail and uh, um, redevelopment and other things that it's going to need to get done in that particular asset class. She has already spoken about some of the other areas that uh, were involved in on the investment management side, so I won't repeat any of that. But yeah. uh, anyways, there's change here, um, but in terms of how exactly it's going to um, end up after we get through all of this, nobody really knows. Right. Okay. That's uh, that's really helpful. Thanks. Thanks, John. Um, and then maybe just finally, when you talk about the outsourcing and advisory business, um, you know, and maybe excluding investment management, um, you know, is there a way to quantify sort of how recurring the different components are when you think of property management, project management, and workplace solutions, and valuation and advisory? Um. Well, it's easy to quantify. Uh, property management is completely recurring revenue. There are components of it that may not be as recurring. So if, a, if during the crisis uh, uh, an owner decides that they want to cut the number of on-site staff down uh, from previous levels because buildings aren't open, that would reduce the revenue and, and, and associated margin with that. But generally speaking, it's... Uh, it's a business that we do, I'd say six, seven hundred million dollars a year worldwide, uh, build on a monthly basis, essentially. Uh, project management is another uh, business we probably do, uh, three, four hundred million dollars a year in that business on a global basis. It's built on a monthly basis. Uh, it's based on, in large part, staffing of jobs that are uh, have an average uh, uh, job period of 18 months or so. Typically, therefore, from um, from uh, large institutions or governmental agencies, uh, infrastructure. So they're long-term uh, relationships. Uh, you know, just using a Canadian example, uh, we've been working on the. Uh, on the uh, revitalization of the Parliament buildings in Ottawa now for 12 years, and I understand the, uh, the the job will be completed in 2032. So there's just an example of uh, long-term project management. Valuations is is a little bit less recurring, except that once you value a building, and in many cases owners need to have those buildings or lenders need to have those buildings reevaluated either quarterly or annually. Um, you build a relationship and you're renewing it on an ongoing basis and earning fees on an ongoing basis. And that's, you know, investment management aside. So those business units, and we've worked hard, as you know, Stephen, over the years to change the nature of our company to focus on real estate services that are much more uh, resilient. Those are resilient, and we believe um, our, our uh, new foray into uh, the mortgage servicing and debt placement area, as well as engineering, uh, when those transactions get completed, will just take us to an entirely new level of, uh, of, um, uh, uh, of the composition of Colliers, which is, in our view, significantly different than the other the other uh, companies in our sector. So hopefully that gives you some color. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Thank, thanks so much for the caller, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Frederick Baston with Raymond James. Your line is open. Thank you, Jay. You sound pretty committed to the Doherty and Mazer acquisitions, but was hoping to get an update on both. Um, just curious how long you can push potentially push the close of these transactions for. Well, we're not pushing. We're not pushing the extension of the, either of the transactions. Both of them are subject to uh, regulatory approval. Both of them are subject to closing adjustments. Um, in the case of Doherty, obviously, there's been something called a pandemic out there, and that has an impact on uh, on uh, closing adjustments. So we're looking at that very closely to make sure that. Uh, we get what we pay for, and we have the appropriate coverages we need. Mazer is um, just early days in the regulatory approvement process, approval process. Both of these transactions are of high quality. Both of these transactions are with people that we are looking forward to working closely with. Both of these transactions are areas in which we think one and one could make six. So um, we are um, we are committed. Having said that, we'll only move forward if if we have appropriate uh, adjustments uh, where necessary. Okay, cool. That's that's helpful. Thanks for the clarification on the. Um, and just curious uh, of the um, hundred and million. 150 million bucks or so uh, in expected cost savings that you uh, highlighted earlier. How much, how much of that would relate to your brokerage business? Most of it. Yeah, I mean, the the, the vast majority would be um, the brokerage business. I mean, certain support uh, staff may cover you know multiple areas, but um, we really did try and become laser focused on the areas that we felt were most susceptible to the impact of the uh, measures taken to contain the pan pandemic and that's what we went at so uh, yeah the vast majority would be uh, transaction related all right thanks for that john that's all for me welcome yeah. thanks. thank you our next question comes from the line of samaya saeed your line is open she's with cibc Thanks, morning. Um, just one question from me here. Just on investment management, it's uh, seen pretty good growth in uh, AUM since you guys bought the platform. Um, any early indications of where AUM is headed today and um, in your revised outlook, I guess, does that imply AUM staying flat or is there any growth sort of uh, baked in there? Uh, well, Samaya, um, we, ha we um had AUM growth, growth of about 6% sequentially in, uh, in Q1. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we would expect that we would have, you know, sort of similar uh, uh, AUM growth through the remainder of the year um, based on our pipelines of commitments and, and uh, uh, for, for, for investment, uh, which remain strong, uh, and our deployment of capital that's been uh, previously committed. Um, so, you know, modest, uh, you know, modest uh, growth through the remainder of the year would be uh, our view. You know, okay. the only thing that I, uh, the only thing I'd add to that is um, our investment management business now in the, you know, mid-30s in terms of 
AUM with significant operations in the U.S. and in Europe is, is one of the largest, uh, if not the largest, alternate asset um, uh, investment management firm. Uh, first class, they won, they won this year the Peary Best Investor in, uh, in Alternate Assets. And, um, you know, people forget the fact that, uh, that Collier's owns one of the best in this, in this very important segment of the, uh, of the real estate investment management industry. It continues to grow by leaps and bounds. It has an amazing management team. We're very proud of them. Uh, they continue to grow their business, uh, beyond just the U.S. and, uh, and uh, Europe, they're looking at Canada as an example right now. So um, this is another big area of growth, we think, for Collier's in the years to come. And uh, we have a great partnership and astute uh, group of uh, shareholders at Harrison Street that have, uh, have really done an incredible job over many, many, many years. Okay, so they continue to you know, stay active during the uh, the current shutdown, I guess. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's helpful. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. I'm showing no further questions at this time. I will now like to turn the call back over to management for closing remarks. Thank you very much, operator. Um, you know, we we uh, <laughs> we would normally say we look forward to uh, having a our second quarter conference call whenever it whenever it takes place. Uh, it'll be an interesting one uh, as we'll see how uh, brokerage rolls out for the balance of the year. But uh, we're anticipating a uh, a difficult second quarter as it relates to brokerage. Uh, but all else is working well at Collier's. And uh, we, uh, we hope to be able to weather the storm, um, even in brokerage, uh, better than most. So thanks for joining us today, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.